So we started looking at Ephesians 5. We, we finished verse 21 and we started verse 22. But that, as I said back then when we started this, opens up a cultural can of worms. And I'll just read the first couple of sentences to you and you'll know exactly what I mean, even if you haven't been here. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's still in the Bible? For the husband is head of the wife. Let's throw some more fuel onto the fire. As also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is This is not well received these days, not to mention many other changes being uh, taking place. So I thought, I want to go back to the beginning, and I want to get all of us together to see where does this passage, verses 22 to 33, where does it come from? Um, What are the basic foundational building blocks by which God the Holy Spirit brought Paul to the place where he could write these things? And here we are many centuries later in a time of flux and change where it seems like anything that's been around for a while is being thrown up and coming down in all kinds of pieces and differences. Let's take a look at the major truths of the Bible that lead us to, or to prepare us to understand what Paul is saying here. So I wanted to uh, uh, put some of the major truths we've already looked at. So some review now I think is important for us. We're talking about uh, manhood and womanhood by the book, and that's the word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. So the key word we saw, and you can look at Genesis 2 and get ready for this, because we'll, we'll be going through Genesis 2 once again, but uh, further. In Genesis 2, <clears throat> we looked uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and <clears throat> I think... Uh, You'll remember these, but I want you to see them before you uh, up here. The key word that we met last week was the word help meet. And that's in Genesis chapter 2. It's in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. King James Version would be help meet, which I, like I told you, I like that very much. All right, so there there are bookends here between verses 18 and verse 20, these three verses. So after he says it's not good for man to be alone, verse 19, it's out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field, but... For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So a helpmeet is the bookends, verses 18, 19, and 20. So we looked at what that meant. And uh, to, once again, draw Genesis 1 and 2 together, let me give you a few statements by way of review, major truths. God made man male and female so that both equally bear his image and likeness. Okay. God does not make the man and woman equal in the sense of an undifferentiated sameness. All right. It's not like having two Chevy Camaros. 
1972 Chevy Camaros, um, you get in the one and the other one, they're identical. That's not the way it is with the man and the woman. They're both equal in honor and glory, made in the image of God, but being equal doesn't mean they are identical in an undifferentiated sameness. There are vital and important differences, just as there are vital and important similarities, so our differences are not mere anatomy. There is a real male and a real real female gender, and they are to be kept distinct and maintained because God has so planned it and designed it that way. Furthermore, God calls the man with the counsel and help of the woman, she's the helpmeet, to see that the male-female partnership serves the purposes of God, not the sinful urges of either member of the partnership. So you'll remember God made the man and the woman in his image and according to his likeness and gave them, them dominion over his creation. So the man and the woman serve God by being God's representatives. We might call them king and queen who co-rule with God. And that's what, God is, what Christ is going to restore at the end. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ over the new heavens and the new earth. So God appoints the man to be the head and the woman to be the helper. Now, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you this and I don't know if it'll be next week, but I would, I would love for you to take out a concordance of the Bible, and, and it's pretty much available to everybody now. So if you have a phone, or if you put the Bible on your, your laptop, your iPad, or whatever you have out there, do a word search in the Old Testament for the word help or helper, and see who shows up as the helper. And you will find that the helper in the Old Testament is male. And the one he's helping is female. In the sense that God, Jehovah God, is the helper of his wife, Israel. So don't jump to the conclusion because the wife is the helper that she's somehow inferior because she's not. It's a very strange kind of irony that in the Old Testament, the helper of God's wife is God. So take a look. It's the same word in the Hebrew for this. So just to give you a little heads up of some of the things we're going to be seeing as we continue through this. So in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. That's the essence of man being the head in the marriage and the father in the family, which we are, we are we're putting down basic foundational truths so that we can prepare for going to the verses in Ephesians 5 and looking at that whole section about marriage, husband, wife, and, and family, children, fathers, and, and mothers, and so on. All right, so now let's take a look here uh, at the, um, you know what I did here, I think? Yeah. All right. 
I think I printed out the last time, my last message, not today's message. I don't know, what am I going to do? <laughs> so let's look at Genesis chapter 2. I'll try to remember what I studied. Isn't that crazy? Okay, I got it. What is that old one doing in my notes? Because I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, I'm starting to panic inside. I'm thinking, I pretty much know what I'm going to be saying, but I like to have my little safety security blanket here. And All right. Okay. Genesis 2-7, so a little bit more review. So in verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, a, a living person, you know, a living soul, depending on what your translation is there. Now, the thing here is <clears throat> God made the man first, which is an indicator to man's headship. But in Genesis 1, it's very clear that both the man and the woman are made in the image of God. So there's no demeaning of the woman at all, which is... Like I've said before, it is completely contrary to anything you will find in any surrounding culture in any part of the world when this was written by Moses. So this, is, this would just stand out to everybody who was back then. To us, we're so used to what the Bible says and a culture that is post-biblical that uh, this may not sound as surprising and gigantically significant as it really, really is which I'm, I would like to try to make that clear to you. So, And then verse 15, the next thing we looked at was, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden, and, and told him to tend and keep it. And this is before Eve. And then the next thing, verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So he makes the man first, he puts the man in the garden to take care of it. I, I put it this way. He puts the man in the garden to cultivate and guard it. He makes man uh, the first gardener. And then he gives the man the twofold commandment. You can eat of all of these trees, but this tree, do not eat of it, because if you do, in that day you will die. Of, you will die. And then it's presumed that Adam will tell Eve this when God brings Eve to him. In just a few moments, we'll see that. And then verse 18, the surprise. Remember the surprise I mentioned? The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. What's the surprise? Well, all through Genesis 1, God's been making things and saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he's finished after he makes man on the sixth day. And he says, it's very good. And then we find in Genesis 2, something's not good. So something is missing in paradise. Or should I say, someone is missing in paradise. And that's where we got to when we, uh, last time when we talked about help me. So it says, God then says, I will make him a helper comparable to him, but he doesn't make Eve right away. Notice, he gives Adam, before Eve, a task. And he brings all the animals before Adam, and he names all the animals. And then at the end of that, the bookend, verse 20, but for Adam there is not found a helper comparable to him. So this brings out for Adam his loneliness, or I would rather say aloneness, because he's not lonely. He's got animals, and he's got God. So the point is not 
Adam's walking around, who do I talk to? It's beautiful, but man, I'm all by myself. No, it's that Adam is the only one of his kind. And it's being made very clear, I don't know if I should say painfully clear, that he's alone. He's the only one of his kind. And he's looking at every animal that's coming by and naming them, but there's no one there like him. And maybe it develops a great longing in him. He's a perfect human being. And he's got some awareness as a perfect human being. And maybe he's beginning to long for that special person. I don't know. That's not in the Bible, so I don't know. But God makes it really clear to Adam that he's the only one of the mankind. Now look at Genesis 1. Look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Well, do you have some sense that there's a very important word showing up there? Kind. And when we say mankind, it's not chauvinistic. We are simply saying that men and women are mankind because mankind is made to reproduce. Just like kinds can't cross over and reproduce. Even when a horse is mated with a non-horse mule, I'm not mule, but, but donkey, it's only one time you get a mule, but they don't reproduce because it's violating the kind. And this, again, is a problem for Darwinism because everything goes back to one cell. The Bible says God made this kind, then he made that kind, and never the twain shall meet. And so Adam is the only mankind. He's by himself. He's alone. So let's see what God is going to do. Verse 21, we have the first operation. The Lord God caused the deep sleep, the first anesthesia, to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Surgery. I don't think the Lord used staples or stitches. Then the rib, and notice, where is your rib? Your side. So the implication is side by side. We are partners, and we, we live side by side. We work, we serve the Lord side by side, and we both go in the same direction. You can put it very generally in a God-glorifying direction. That's my job in my family, my home, is to lead us all in a God-glorifying direction. But it's my wife's job, too, to help me do that because we're all believers. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. We don't have two different assignments. We just have two different roles in carrying out the same assignment. So here comes the rib But something has been made. Oh, and the other thing, remember where God got Adam? He made us out of dirt, men. And then he made our wives out of us. So again, that points to Adam's headship. But it does not point to Adam as superior to the woman. Because if the woman comes from the man and you say she's inferior, you're basically shooting yourself in the foot, so to speak. Because the reason why God makes her from the man is so to prove that she's his partner, his equal, once again. So there's, there is, we share the, 
We're equal in sharing God's honor and glory, but we're different in roles, R-O-L-E-S, and responsibilities. So look at verse 23. So we have the first wedding ceremony. I, I, I didn't finish verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he, the first father of the first bride, brought her to the man, the first groom. And what does Adam say? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. How many of you have these words indented in, in, the, um, in your translation? They're set off from the other words, right? That's because they're poem, they're poetry. So what we discover here is the first man, the first woman, the first anesthesia, the first surgery, the first marriage, the first bride, the first groom, the first father to give away the first bride, and we find the first poem, and it is a love poem. The first poem, the first words of a man, they are a love poem to his wife, who he goes, va, 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 voom. Remember that? Some of you remember that? Va, 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 voom. So there is a place for romance. And whose idea was it to start with? It's God's. We must not turn up our nose at such things. Now, we know the, word, the world can pervert it very much. but And I, I like to put it this way. When you look at this, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, see God's joy to give mankind joy. See God's joy to give mankind joy. God did not make us because he needed us. He had everything. The Father, the Son, perfect love, the Holy Spirit. Never alone, eternally. It was out of the fullness of the joy and the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that they together said, let us make man in our own image. And let us lavish our love upon them. And let us create a world where everybody will love each other with the same kind of love that we have for each other. Then Adam said, see you later. I can do it better. And boom. Right? But God's joy to give mankind joy. So it's God's love and God's joy is the bottom line reason for God's creation. And it is God's love and joy is the bottom line reason for redemption. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You will not find that in Islam. Or perhaps any other religion except the religions that borrow, the new, the, the, borrow our teachings from us because they sound so good when people hear them. <clears throat> now, let me, let me take a look at this. I want to put this up on the screen because sometimes when I say things, and I'm not saying this is you, it's me. Um, when, I, when I hear somebody say things, I think, oh, man, I've got to write that down. But well, what was it? I miss it. Or sometimes when I hear it and I'm reading it, it's helpful to me. So in a sense, when God brings Eve to the man, this poem, this romantic poem says this in our words, I was meant for you. And you were meant for me. The help me, the two become one. I was meant for you, and you were meant for me. And, and I think, I, I can't prove this, but I think that idea that a lot of people have that there's somebody out there that's just for me, I think that's where this comes, that, this is where that comes from. There's somebody out there just for me. Anyhow, that's, you don't have to 
believe that. That's not a doctrine, but it's a thought that I have thunk. All right, so the man, when he sees her, listen now carefully, perceives the woman not as his rival, as in so many marriages, but as his partner, not as a threat because of her equality with himself, but as the only one capable of fulfilling his longing within. Mm. And some of you may be aware of threats to your existence. So when I first met my wife, we were on a retreat, and we're taking a walk during free time. And I was this hippie, and I was sophisticated and wise, and I was hip. And we begin talking about, we just met each other. Dave, you were there. And we start talking about, you know, well, where'd you go to school? Because we were young back then. And, you know, what, what do you do for a living? Things like that. And she said, well, I, I'm a teacher. I said, oh, great, teacher. Went to Bucknell. I said, Bucknell. Then went to Penn. I said, Penn. And I got my master's in a year and a half or something like that. I don't know. And I'm starting to go like this. <laughs> I'm thinking, whoa, I don't know. So I sort of gave up. <laughs> but look at this, here we are. But I have to admit that I felt threatened by somebody who was so accomplished and so bright. Um, and, and yet God took care of it, sort of. So here is where marriage and romance begin. It's, it's, not, believe, it's not the product of a social evolution. Please watch out for the documentaries you listen to. Please alert your children to what they're getting in the schools. Everything now is premised on evolution, not just biological evolution. Everything's evolution today. Everything. And it's, it's man's way to do what Adam did. Remember what Adam did? He decided what was good and evil, what was right and wrong, what was true and false. I'll decide that, not you. And evolution is the tremendous basis that man has thought, thinks he has found to jettison God from God's creation. Because everything just happens. We believe everything is designed. And even this, and especially this. So watch out for this, this evolution that creeps into all kinds of things that you hear and read and see. So what does marriage mean? Marriage is the reunion of what was originally and literally one flesh. Now, what do I mean? Where was Eve before God brought her to Adam? She was in Adam. That's where Eve comes from, mankind. And, and where do all other human beings come from? The man and the woman. So the woman was made from the man, but every human, every male from that point on came through the woman and not apart from a woman. So again, you see the partnership, the co-equality there. There's, there's similarities and differences. I cannot bear a child. I never will be able to bear a child. And yet, I'm still made in the image of God. When I watched my wife nursing our children, I had a... a, a a real, I don't want to call it uh, envy or, or covetousness, I, I had an admiration and I thought, how special that must be. How spe to hold that little one close to you, nourishing that little one. Um, so, 
Marriage is the reunion of what was originally and literally one flesh, only now in a much more satisfying form, because now we can talk to each other. We can relate to one another. We have relationship, like the father and the son has relationship. And uh, this is why he who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh. Treat your wife the wrong way, and you're really doing yourself damage. Becoming one flesh as husband and wife is symbolized and sealed by the sexual union. That's true. But the one flesh relationship entails more than sex. And that's why so often if two people just have sex, there's something missing. And, and, and something goes wrong. Something goes awry. Take a look at the story of um, uh, Tamar in the Old Testament, one of King David's daughters, and Amnon, one of King David's sons. As soon as he raped her, he hated her. And before he raped her, everything was about her. Got to have her. Got to have her. She's got to be mine. She's got to be mine. And then he hated and detested her and sent her out. And he ended up getting murdered by her brother a little bit later. So relationships, when they go wrong, could be a lot of problems. And I think that's why there's so much baggage these days is because there's so many bad relationships up and down the line. And that's why it's important for us to look at this and, and get this right and ask God to help us be the men and women God wants us to be. Again, a little bit more. Marriage is the profound fusion of two lives into one shared life together by the mutual consent and covenant of marriage. A wife doesn't submit to every man. She submits to her man. And she makes a choice to do so. And then they line up together in order for the man to lead in a God-glorifying direction, and she supports him in that. And when a man's not doing that, then don't be surprised when you get resistance and opposition. And when you're not treating your body the right way, don't be surprised when you don't feel too good either. You see how it's related and interconnected in that way? Just Do, do you think the Bible's true or what here? It really seems to be the truth when you come right down to it, you, you, by, by experience as well as by knowing what it says. So marriage is the complete and permanent giving over of oneself to a new circle of shared existence with one's partner. The two become one. And that's why, as important as I think premarital counseling is, you don't know what it is until you're married. Because marrying somebody creates a whole new entity, a whole new person, a whole new kind of life. And yes, you can get ready for it and pray about it and make, try to be as wise in your choice as possible, but nobody gets into marriage and continues in marriage without trouble and problems and complications. But that's part of the beauty. That's Well, it's a fallen world, but it's part of the beauty. God can use that in you and in me to help me to be the man God wants me to be and you to be the woman God wants you to be. All right, so that brings me to um, this part. And there's so much more, but uh, I want to be careful I don't overdo it. And I want to leave you with a, a parting um, exhortation. And here it is. 
If you're married, if you're going to be married, you must remember you are partners. You are not adversaries. Problems in marriage, you should deal with the problem, not with the person. We don't attack the person. We attack the problem. And if you do that, instead of attacking each other, the two of you attack the problem, you're going to get somewhere. And if both of you are believers, you're attacking the problem, just like we sang there, with the Almighty. And with the Almighty's help and His grace and His mercy and His wisdom, I can, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So there should be unity, not competition. I want to win that argument. I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to win the argument, even if I have to hurt you to do it. Where's your Christianity in that, right? So, brothers and sisters, examine yourself. Now, I can broaden this to family. God doesn't create your family to be adversaries, to be at each other's throats, trying to get from the other people what you want and not to give them too much of what they want because then you might have to sacrifice what you want. And it's a battlefield. Unity. Different people with different perspectives and different ideas coming together in unity to love one another and build one another up and stay faithful to one another. And your differences can enhance my life. I've often said it that I don't have just one set of eyes. I've got two sets of eyes. I, I don't just enjoy the colors that I enjoy but she can help me to enjoy colors that she enjoys. I, I remember, and I won't keep going on and on, but when I was younger and a real man, going out for a steak, it had to be well done. Well done. And my wife is sitting across the table from me, and she orders it medium rare or something like that. And I went, why don't you? Well, you're not a man, so you don't need it right. So I'm watching her, and she seems to be enjoying it, and I'm okay with it. And I just said to myself, she really looks like she's enjoying that. So I said, you mind if I have a little smidgen of that steak of yours? And she said, no, go right ahead. So I took it. I went, whoa, this is really good. This is what steak tastes like? It's not a hockey puck, is it? So you live and you learn, and you can even learn from your wife. So we're partners, not adversaries. Cultivate unity, reject competition. Examine yourself because you're the only one who can deal with you. That's our problem. We always want to deal with the other one. Once I get her straightened out, things will be fine. And then she might be thinking, once I get him straightened out, don't get married like that either, by the way. Once we get married, I'll take care of this. Ask anybody who's married, and they'll tell you. <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> so let me ask you finally, when you think about all this, putting it to are you sinful or are you faithful to the word of God, to the divine design? It's not evolved, it's designed. You depart from the design, disaster. You line up with the design, joy. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we take from this time in your word and don't just say, oh, that was interesting or, hmm, I wonder about what he said, but that we will say, wait a minute, is this your will, oh God? Is this your design for me, for my family? God, make it happen in me. 
Just as that one uh, Star Trek commander said, make it so. I pray, Father, that you will make it so in our lives to be the men and women you want us to be. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.